Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Researchers say COVID-19 can spread to your brain, heart, and eyes. Still no answers for fixing Canada's embattled travel industry. When will a new House Speaker be elected in the U.S.? Oh, Canada! Our junior hockey team is golden again. An Ancaster man has a connection with a World War II airplane. And Ontario businesses remain in hiring mode. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We have new developments in the COVID-19 pandemic. There is a new study out that shows that some people who died from COVID had the virus in organs other than the lungs. Remember, this is a respiratory virus, Uh, including the brain, heart and eyes. 44 autopsies were conducted and researchers found that the virus invaded more than 35 cell types and membranes across different systems in the body. Dr. Todd Coleman is an epidemiologist and assistant professor in the health sciences department at Wilfrid Laurier University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Coleman, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm a little puzzled, though, because as I said, COVID-19 is a respiratory virus. How is it spreading to places like the brain and the heart and other organs? Uh, that's a it's a good point. Uh, we we haven't been calling it a respiratory virus in in academic and research circles for for a little bit now. Um, it does circulate through the blood. It circulates throughout the body. Um, we've seen the manifestations of this in things like the microclotting that tends to happen. Um, but it, it it essentially spreads throughout the body and. Uh, maintains presence in, in a number of different organ systems. Is there any similarities uh, with influenza in terms of its spread, or, or is the flu just stick with the respiratory system? Uh, the flu tends to be uh, respiratory-based. Uh, however, uh, we've seen more manifestations of SARS throughout different organ systems compared to the flu virus. Yeah. So would you describe this discovery as troubling or, or encouraging because now we have a better idea of how it reacts in the body? I think, I think it's more confirmation of the, the far-reaching effects that uh, COVID-19, uh, the, the virus SARS-CoV-2, has in the body uh, and the number of different organ systems that it, it affects. And really the, the consequences of infection are not just... Uh, temporary discomfort, such as with other respiratory viruses. Dr. Todd Coleman is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dr. Coleman is an epidemiologist and an assistant professor in the health sciences department at Wilfrid Laurier University. We're talking about some new research that shows that some people who died from COVID had the virus in other organs, including the brain and the heart. Could this discovery lead to new and better vaccines or treatments? I think it leads, it'll likely lead to to much better treatments uh, because there's a a better understanding of of the far-reaching consequences of infection. Uh, In terms of vaccines, uh, it's still uh, SARS-CoV-2, the virus still primarily infects people through the breathing in, so through the nasal cavity and through the throat. Uh, so that's that's the avenue of prevention uh, that we need to think about when we're thinking about trying to, to 
prevent and treat uh, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. We have learned uh, that there is a new sub-variant, and Canada already has a few cases. I think at last count, there was about 20 or so cases of this XBB15 sub-variant. What could you tell us about it? Yeah, there's uh, quite a bit of chatter about it, I think primarily due to the nickname that people have been giving it, uh, the Kraken. Uh, it, it, it does show with some of the U.S.-based data that it is spreading quite quickly. There's some indication that it could be uh, spreading faster than any other variant. However, uh, the thing that we need to consider here is in the context of we've removed almost all of the, the mandates that would prevent infection in the first place. So uh, a faster spreading infection isn't entirely unheard of with a new variant. What's with the Kraken moniker? Is that uh, connected to the transmissibility or the lethalness of it? I, I'm not too sure uh, about that. I, I, I was reading about the, the moniker and uh, I think people are giving them names so that they are more easily recognizable hmm. uh, when they're talking about it in the media instead of referring it to as those complicated alphabet letters that, that seem to be popping up everywhere. Yeah, we can certainly recall uh, Kraken much better than XBB15, and uh, I guess it sounds cooler. I don't know. Uh, Dr. Right. Dr. Coleman, thanks for your time today, and uh, we'll talk to you sometime down the road. Okay, thanks a lot, Rick. That's Dr. Todd Coleman. He's an epidemiologist and an assistant professor in the Health Sciences Department at Wilfrid Laurier University. But really interesting um, research being done on these autopsies, 44 autopsies being done, and... They have found COVID-19 in 35 cell types, various organs, including the brain, the heart, and the eyes. Previous autopsy research, this is this is nothing new. Um, the new part is, is that how it's traveling to other places in the body. Previous research found that COVID-19 was found in multiple systems in the body, but some believe that the viral traces found outside of the respiratory system could have been due to uh, residual blood left in the tissues or or cross-contamination. Researchers say with this study, that's not the case. It is somehow, some way, getting into the brain, the eyes, the heart, and various other systems. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Many Canadians, hundreds of Canadians, have been in hot spots down south. And, uh, you know, while they might be on the beach enjoying some uh, R&R, Getting to and from set destinations has been uh, difficult to say the least. Uh, so much so, and rightfully so, a group of opposition MPs are saying that Canadians are demanding answers and they want the federal government to tell us what is planned going forward to correct this situation. Taylor Backrack is the NDP transport critic, MP at Skeena, Bulkley Valley, NBC, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. You sit on the Standing Committee on Transportation, Infrastructure, and Communities. You're one of a number of members on that committee calling for an urgent meeting to discuss what's been happening over the last number of weeks, not only with the airline industry, but the railway industry in this country. Where does this request stand right now? Well, at this point, we've sent a letter to the chair of the committee under Standing Order 1064, which kicks off a process whereby the committee has to meet within five days. So we're gonna have a procedural meeting on Monday to set the terms for a larger meeting, which will hopefully happen uh, next week. So at that meeting, we want to hear from the minister. We wanna be able to ask the minister questions about 
what he did and what he plans to do. We also want to uh, have an appearance by uh, Sunwing and other uh, players in the in the air travel industry um, so that we can get a, a real sense of what went wrong and, and uh, talk about what needs to be done in the future to better protect passengers because Canada's air passenger protection system is clearly broken. Um, and we're seeing, you know, from the beginning of the pandemic, we've been see seeing passengers stuck in really difficult situations. Right now, there's a 30,000 complaint backlog at the Canadian Transportation Agency. That's, that's not acceptable. So there are changes that need to be made. I, I hope that this will not only look at what happened over the holidays and how it could have been avoided, but forward-looking as well, looking at what amendments need to be made to protect passengers better in the future. The airline and the rail industry, both federally regulated, Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabra tweeted over the holidays that, you know, this this fiasco was unacceptable. Uh, it wasn't wrong, but really nothing has changed. Nothing has been done to fix the travel industry right now. What should the minister do? What would you do in this situation? Yeah, well, exactly. And that that's the question we're going to ask uh, was what he did. Uh, during the crisis to ensure that passengers got the respect and the care that they deserve. Uh, this is the guy who's in charge of ensuring that Canada's transportation uh, system works effectively. And it's not enough to go on Twitter and say that things are unacceptable. It makes it sound like he's on the sidelines with the rest of Canadians looking in. This is the guy who has the power. He has, under legislation, he has the power to do something. And uh, we want to know what it was that he did and uh, and what he's going to do moving forward now right now the committee that i sit on is studying air passenger rights uh, because of what happened during the pandemic and because of this backlog of complaints and there are very clear changes that can be made to canadian legislation and regulation that would bring canada's system into line with what we see for instance in the european union where they have a much more effective set of passenger protections uh, they don't have a 30,000 complaint backlog because their system works better than ours. What I want to hear from the minister is whether he's willing to make those changes in a timely way so that air passengers in Canada can have the kind of protection they deserve. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Taylor Backrack, NDP transport critic. Um, we're talking about uh, he and a number of other uh, members of this committee um, wanting the federal government to take some action and explain what has happened over the last number of weeks involving uh, entities like Sunwing, like Via Rail. Um, speaking of Sunwing, I've spoken with a few travelers. And in one case, one Sunwing plane was loaded with half the luggage that it was supposed to have. Another plane had all the passengers on board, but none of the luggage. How in the world does this happen? Well, that's what we want to find out. It seems like a total uh, breakdown and failure of Sunwing systems. And the result was that so many Canadians were stranded in these international destinations, unable to get home. I, I talked to um, a constituent's mom uh, who was talking about her son who was stuck in Mexico uh, days and days with no answers, no communication, every morning having to check out of the hotel room he'd been given and wait for some answer from Sunwing as to whether he was going to have a hotel room for that evening. Uh, in the end, he ended up having to fly back to Canada at his own expense. This is clearly unacceptable. And Sunwing not only needs to make it right uh, by fully compensating all of the passengers that were put out um, under the air passenger protection regulations, but they also need to, to tell the committee what they plan to do to ensure this doesn't happen again, because what we saw is is not what customers should be able to be, expect. 
Ritzbart Sunwing has issued an apology to the hundreds of customers who are impacted by uh, travel delays, postponements, missing or lost luggage while enduring, uh, you know, little to no communication, which wasn't a great action plan uh, in and of itself. Uh, meantime, Canadians still looking for action. As you mentioned, Taylor, 30,000 people wanting answers. We shouldn't ignore Via Rail in this instance as well. They had numerous issues over the holidays which was absolutely the, the most ridiculous part was there wasn't an emergency plan, which I'm assuming is something that you want to see on, on, you know, somewhere in writing. It, absolutely. And, and the, the challenges that Via faced were a result of a, an extreme weather event. We know with climate change, we're going to see more frequent extreme weather events. So companies like Via Rail need to have contingency plans and response plans in place for the kind of situations that we saw over the holidays. And what we saw with Via Rail, very similar to Sunwing, was a failure to provide the basic level of customer care that these passengers should be able to expect. You know, hearing stories about passengers stuck on trains with no food, with no working bathrooms. I hear some passengers got off the train by themselves and set off on foot. Um, this is completely unacceptable in a country like Canada. So we need to know from Via Rail uh, what plans they're going to put in place to avoid that kind of thing in the future. It is made difficult when it comes to rail travel because CP and CN own the tracks and Via Rail is very much the poor cousin when it comes to the rail system. Um, but we need to ensure that there are emergency plans in place that don't leave customers stranded in the situation that we saw over the holidays. Well, we know two things. There's still a lot of frustration and there's still many question marks. Uh, Taylor, I really enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully we can get some answers to those questions going forward. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much, Rick. Taylor Backrack, the NDP Transport Credit. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Kevin McCarthy's ego and his pursuit of this speakership at all costs is drowning out the voices and the needs of the American people. This is Good Morning Hamilton. You're listening to 900 CHML. Democrat Congresswoman Catherine Clark, after 11 roll call votes, the U.S. House of Representatives has still not elected a new speaker as they enter now a fourth day of voting. Uh, today, by the way, is also an anniversary of sorts at the Capitol. It's the two-year anniversary of the January 6th riot. So that as a backdrop as they continue to vote to elect a new House speaker. Here to break it all down is Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent with Global News. Reggie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, House Speaker election stalemate uh, has been, well, entertaining for some, if nothing else. But th this is no laughing matter. There's business to get to. For sure, there's business to get to. And with without a speaker, none of that business can move forward. And that includes putting people onto a committee. It includes taking any bills that potentially could pass in the early days uh, of the U.S. Senate. But it also includes dealing with some kind of crisis that may occur and need a government response without a speaker literally the, the house is a non-functioning uh part of government so well it has been a bit of a spectacle a bit of a circus on the floor there is a real concern that the longer this drags on the more it's going to hurt the republican base who put these people in a job to do a job mccarthy lost uh the 11th vote yesterday so what kind of deals is he making or trying to make to convince these 20 or so hardliners to change their vote and get him elected as speaker? Well, here's the thing. He's making these deals, but it's unclear if that's going to lure over 
the 20 people. It could lure over maybe, what, 8, 9, 10, 11, but it's not going to be enough to get him to that threshold of 218. And there are growing concerns from within some of the moderates of the party that McCarthy may be giving away too much. He's already kind of whittled down the powers of the speaker by putting some far-right members of the House Freedom Caucus on some big committees, or at least promising to do that. He's also made it easier to topple the speaker with just one vote. This was something that during the Democrats' reign and previous Republican reigns needed a, uh, a majority of the House to be able to topple the speaker. So to do this with just one person now, kind of diminishes the speaker's position to almost nothing. McCarthy says that there's still far more that can be uh, discussed and negotiated here, but the clock is ticking and the frustrations are mounting. Reggie Cicchini is our Washington correspondent with Global News. We're looking at the U.S. House Speaker election uh, remaining in a stalemate. If they can't agree, and many people are, are, are you know saying this out loud, if they can't agree on electing a House Speaker, how are these lawmakers going to come together on some of the bigger issues that is facing the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a big question, and it is a real question and a real concern. And some of those concerns are based around not so much the day-to-day legislation or the kind of investigations that have been planned into the president or into federal departments, but into things having to do with the finances of this country, number one being the debt ceiling. What's going to happen when it comes time to uh, increase the amount that America can borrow in order to not default on its debts? There are members of the Hard Right Freedom Caucus that are kind of blocking things right now that don't care and have said that on the record if the U.S. defaults on its loans, which would have a kind of global financial or create a global financial collapse. So that's real. There's issues about uh, funding when it comes to Ukraine. There are issues about funding when it comes to day-to-day operations around the United States. These things are important. And if Republicans can't come together to find a leader, there is a real concern here that they may put the United States and American people and ultimately the globe in some kind of financial crisis down the road. So what is the most likely end of this story? Is that Kevin McCarthy ultimately gets the nod or... And he said he's not stepping down, but does he, you know, fall on his sword and say, all right, somebody else can take this on? I mean, look, after 12 rounds, he hasn't done that yet. And just last night, he said that they are going to continue to do this until it happens. But until it happens could mean day after day after day of of business not being done. So what happens next? Negotiations are going to continue. They say that they're close to a deal. We'll have to see when the 12th round kicks up at noon, uh, whether or not it lures over some people. Does it lure over enough? We don't know. Will that put it into a 13th, 14th or 15th round and potentially kick this into next week? Also, something that isn't known, but he's not not stepping down. No alternative has actually come forward outside of people who have been nominated. And it's not clear if there's even an alternative working in the background to try and, uh, you know, force McCarthy's hand here if he starts to lose. This is, according to Democrats, a Republican mess, and it is up to Republicans to bail themselves out of it. Last time we've got about 90 seconds today marks the two-year anniversary of the January 6th riot. Is there any Anything special to mark the occasion today? Well, I mean, look, lawmakers, at least on the House side, may not be participating in this, number one, because they're not lawmakers, because they haven't been sworn in, but because they are going to be tied up in a House that is at a standstill two years to the day that it was at a standstill. But at the White House, there will be some Democrats and Republicans, at least from the Senate side, for a presidential ceremony. There are going to be civilian medals handed out to uh, officers that were uh, involved in the J6 riots, to people who were election workers, to Secretary of States that came under attack. 
from uh, Arizona and from Michigan. This is going to be a somber ceremony. It is not going to be a politicized ceremony that we've heard uh, from the White House, but it is also just a day that that Americans are trying to, you know, not quite forget, but not, you know, try to latch onto. The White House is going to say, look, this is something we can't let happen again, while kind of making a nod to the House by saying, look, Republicans have once again brought American government to a standstill. Reggie Cicchini, Washington correspondent for Global News, staying on top of everything happening down in the U.S. Appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Reggie Cicchini doing an outstanding job in following this uh, roller coaster of a ride as uh, legislators in the U.S. try to elect, try, that's the word, try to elect a new House Speaker. Is today the day? Uh, I have my doubts. I think this I think this stretches into the weekend, if not into next week. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Best feeling in the world. That's the uh, best way I can describe it. Uh, come be more proud of those guys. Come be more proud of that group. And um, yeah, just just so happy, so excited, and uh, yeah, just so proud of those guys. Burlington Shane Wright, the captain of Canada's World Junior Hockey Team, is throwing out a lot of praise for his teammates and the fans who took in a wonderful tournament in Halifax and Moncton as the World Junior Hockey Championship came to a close with a three-two Canadian. Victory in overtime in the final over Czechia last night. What a phenomenal game it was. Canada started off strong with a 2-0 lead after two periods, and I think everyone was thinking, all right, we got it. Smooth sailing from here on in. And uh uh-oh, a couple of quick goals by the Czechs, and we're suddenly in do-or-die time in overtime. But it worked out. Whew, it worked out. Kevin Barrett is a sports reporter with Brunswick News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kevin, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Uh, still recovering from a uh, roller coaster ride this last <laughs> few days, and especially last night. Yeah, last night. I mean, 2 nothing after 2, I, I think this team was feeling pretty good and, and maybe feeling a little too good. Do you think they let their foot off the pedal? Well, I... I think that they may have got a little cautious, but um, I, I, the reporters on Press Row had looked back to what had happened in the summer with Team Canada, was in a similar situation, had a 2 nothing lead against Finland in the gold medal game. Uh, that lead was gone by the halfway point of the third period and then had the electrifying overtime with the Mason McTavish save on the goal line that many Hamilton Bulldogs fans, I'm sure, remember with great fondness the way that that developed. Uh, last night, hit the halfway point of the third period, and Chechia had three shots on goal. And um, sports reporters being on deadline saying, okay, let's get this going. We're going to have this right. We're going to write this story. And uh, and honestly, I think I had my story pretty much written. I said, okay, we just need one more goal. <laughs> and then, boom, everything turned upside down. And um, it was interesting inside the building. You could feel the uh, exasperation, nerves, uh, frantic nature of the fans who were on the brink of a celebration. One more goal to make a 3 nothing, And, of course, the party would have been on much like it was uh, the previous night against the United States when Brand Clark made it 5-2 in the third period, and then it was Halifax Party Central. Um, that didn't happen last night, and it turned into this nervous pit of energy. But the fans, and um, I must say, I, I the, there was a kind of the underlying story of this whole tournament. Uh, the Halifax 
the building was 98.6 filled to capacity. And the fans, uh, after the second goal, really energized the Canadian team as much as they could. And while Canada held on a little bit by its fingernails in the third period, um, I just had a sense once it got to overtime, they would recollect themselves. And they had the skill, of course, Conor Bedard, Shane Wright. But uh, maybe a couple of unsung heroes, even though they are superstars in their own right, Joshua Waugh and Dylan Gunther combining for the winning goal. And uh, the place, as they say, went bonkers. <laughs> well, when it was 2 nothing, and you were thinking Canada needs one more goal, I mean, you weren't wrong. They needed one more goal. It just happened to come in overtime. That's correct. And um, <laughs> Shane Wright, of course, scored that beautiful goal yeah. uh, early in the second period. And uh, just given the way that they had lost to Chechia in the preliminary round, if you remember, uh, Canada had a one nothing lead in that game as well. But then uh, in over a span of 13 minutes, gave up five goals in midway through the second period, down 5-2, and, uh, and obviously didn't recover from that. Uh, so once Shane Wright made a 2 nothing, uh, my thought, and I think a lot of the fans, particularly the way that Canada had really use the second period to really put the United States away uh, previous night, that this was going to be a good thing. And they played well. Thomas Millick was outstanding in, in goal, and he was making the saves. And uh, and I think the crowd really was waiting for Connor Bedard just to put the uh, icing on his personal cake uh, en route to an MVP with just, just one more. And uh, But, of course, it didn't happen. And... and uh, it all worked out, as he said. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Barrett is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Kevin is a sports reporter with Brunswick News and was covering the World Junior Hockey Championship, which came to a close last night with a Canadian victory over Czechia 3-2 in overtime. You mentioned Connor Bedard, tournament MVP, an all-time Canadian single tournament record, 23 points in just seven games, absolutely outstanding. Whichever NHL team gets this guy, they're going to be smiling from ear to ear. Oh, they certainly are. And um, it's interesting that he played this tournament in Halifax, which is uh, uh, the Scotiabank Centre. It's about 10 kilometres, 12 kilometres, depending on which road you take to Sidney Crosby's boyhood home in Cole Harbour, Nova Scotia. And uh, there was a people talking about uh, the way that Connor Bernard can control the puck and the way he uses his legs, much like Sidney Crosby has uh, developed over the course of his career. And uh, being... Sidney Crosby being a number one pick, Connor Bedard obviously going to be the number one pick in the draft in the NHL, NHL draft in the summer. Um, there was a lot of comparisons there, but just the performance he put on. Um, I covered the uh, preliminary games in uh, Moncton and, and based a lot of my coverage in Moncton until the playoff round uh, in Halifax for Canada. And uh, he set up Shane Wright for this goal against, um, uh, I forget if it was Sweden, uh, Switzerland, uh, I think it was Switzerland. And uh, he drove behind the net and he just sucked everybody looking to him. And he just did a little drop pass and Shane Wright had an empty net. And I remember Shane Wright just pointing to Connor Bernard with this uh, point of appreciation and amazement at the same time. Like, thank you for that goal. It was the easiest one. And this is, of course, a guy that's in the NHL. So um, he, Connor Bernard dazzled everyone. And uh, when um, the team was actually on, on um, against the United States, uh, the International Ice Hockey Federation announced Canada's best three players. They introduced uh, Logan Stankoven and Joshua Waugh for Canada. And then before Logan Stankoven was finished, the crowd started chanting MVP, MVP, 
And it was like a 24 to 48 hour celebration. Uh, again, kind of the icing on the cake for Bedard and what he did here in Halifax. Yeah, a phenomenal tournament. Canada with a fantastic tournament as well. And uh, hats off to those in Halifax and Moncton as well. All the fans were absolutely amazing. And I don't think it's going to take very long for the WIHF to go back to uh, Atlantic Canada to host this tournament again. Kevin, appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us this morning and enjoy the weekend. All right. Thanks for having me. That's Kevin Barrett, sports reporter, Brunswick News. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Uh, This was a wonderful story that I read the other day. And it uh, revolves around an Ancaster man who had the chance to ride along in a World War II era plane. And you might think, yeah, that's kind of cool. And it absolutely is. But what makes this story even more cooler, if you will is that this individual has a personal connection with this aircraft. His name is Wilson Nixon. He's a Hamilton resident who got to fly around in this Spitfire plane. Wilson, good morning and welcome to the show. How are you? Well, good morning to you too, Rick. Now, this plane has a special meaning for you. Maybe we'll start with that and we'll kind of recap why it is so special. Well, uh, the story begins back in November of 2021. Um, I received an email out of the blue uh, from a gentleman by the name of Colin Andrews, who happens to be the owner of the Great British Watch Company. Uh, he was asking me in the email, he was trying to track down the son of Harold Joseph Nixon, who I'm actually looking at the email now, who says uh, he was a Canadian Spitfire pilot during World War II. Um, he mentions, I've done some research and found that he had a son called Wilson who was born in Hamilton, Ontario. I hope that possibly is you, uh, which it was. Um, he says, there's lots of detail I have for you. It's in regards to, uh, we have located a the Spitfire that you're one of the one of the Spitfires that your father flew, and we're currently trying to track you down and determine uh, if you're the man we're looking for, and if you could get back to us, we would appreciate it. And that's how it all started. So, what was your response to that email? Were you like, "Yeah, I'm I'm his son. What do you want?" I'm sorry, you're going to have to speak up. I didn't quite catch that. Uh, y- your response to the email was what? How did you how did you respond well, to the inquiry? Initially, that's a good question. Was I was somewhat shocked in, in because of the fact that my father passed away approximately 37 years ago, back in 1985. Uh, so right off the bat, I thought, well, this is very strange. I haven't, you know. Is this real, or is what am I? What am I getting into here? Um, I, I responded back to Colin and uh, told him, yes, I was the uh, the son that he was looking for, and um, from there, it uh, somewhat blossomed, if you will. Um, Colin ended up being the uh, liaison, if you will, with the owner of the Spitfire now. Um, 
a fellow by the name of Graham Oliver, who's an aviation enthusiast and collector. Um, it turns out that approximately five years ago, um, the plane was acquired uh, from a museum in France uh, and brought back to England to Biggin Hill. Uh, Biggin Hill is a uh, small airfield, oh, approximately 25 kilometers south southeast of London. Um, it's still today recognized uh, for its role uh, it played during uh, the Battle of Britain. Uh, Sir Winston Churchill actually, I believe at the time, called it the strongest link we have in the Battle of Britain. And and uh, so you were invited to England to fly in this Spitfire plane. Well, that that just came about uh, back at the end of October. I had there was no mention or anything of that nature over the past year. Over the past year, we were just uh, communicating back and forth. Uh, uh, Colin sent me. Uh, several items that he uncovered through the British archives. Um, uh, my father never spoke about the war uh, very much. Um, I heard as a young boy snippets uh, that stuck with me, some of them, in regards to his experience during the war. But um, it wasn't until he passed away in 1985 that my mother brought out newspaper clippings from the Hamilton Spectator, uh, mentioning my father. Um, uh, photos that were that he had given her from the war. Uh, Colin had forwarded me uh, that he had uncovered things like um, personal combat reports written by my father pertaining to dogfights he was in or ground targets he had attacked. He, they even sent me, which was odd, I thought, articles from our newspapers over here, from, for example, the mentioning my father from the Ottawa Citizen, from the Windsor Star, Calgary Herald, <laughs> uh, that they had gleaned from the archives over there. It was uh, amazing, the information. Uh, I was given reports through the course of the year. Photos were sent to me of the plane. The plane originally had been uh, shot down. My father wasn't flying the plane the day it was shot down uh, in, uh, I believe it was 1944. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time, uh, the plane was not recoverable just due to where it was located. Uh, in, uh, it was like a marshy area bottom of, uh, in the water, and it wasn't accessible. But. Yeah, and it was recovered in 1980, I hear, which is fantastic. Uh, w Wilson, we're out of time, and uh, we really appreciate your time on the show today. Thanks for joining us, and I'm sure it was an amazing experience, and thanks for sharing it with us today. No question about it. Yes, another time, possibly I'll tell you about actually I got to fly the plane, which was uh, very a thrill of a lifetime. That's amazing. Wilson, thanks for the time. Enjoy the weekend. Okie doke. Wilson Nixon, Hamilton resident who got to fly 
that Spitfire. It is a pretty incredible story. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The December job numbers are going to be due out uh, later on this morning from StatsCan. And some forecasts are predicting that the unemployment rate will hold steady at 5.1%. Meantime, there's new data out from Manpower Group that shows a prosperous hiring climate expected this year in Ontario. So let's talk about that. Natasha Radish is the VP of Ontario for Manpower Group and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Natasha, good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Let's focus on the, uh, I guess, the overall numbers in terms of nationally what Canadian employers are anticipating in 2023. Yeah, in uh, the first quarter, uh, walking into 2023, nationally Canada actually has a positive net outlook of 34%. Um, It's actually only down 3% uh, if we're looking at Q1 of uh, 2023 versus 2022. So actually not as not as big of a jump as I think a lot of people were anticipating. Uh, and it's actually a 3% increase from the prior quarter, Q4 of 2022, that we're walking out of. Is the um, the tight hiring climate, the, the need for more workers, a big reason why we're seeing some of these numbers? Yes, absolutely. So it definitely is still a little bit of a tight labor market out there, uh, coupled with, you know, the rise in inflation, which naturally drives the the cost of goods and transportation up. So there definitely will continue to be a little bit of a struggle to meet some of the of the, of the demands. Um, and it's also dependent upon the industry and location within uh, within Canada. So we, we definitely will see a little bit of that struggle continue um, and spill over into the new year. Well, let's talk about some of those industries. What, what uh, sectors of the economy are going to be looking for more workers in the first quarter? Yeah, sure. So the top five industries that are looking to hire um, and then over the next three months is uh, finance and real estate, up 44%. Uh, manufacturing, which which includes automotive, coming in also at 44%. So those two are the top hiring industries across the country. Um, IT coming in at 40%. Uh, logistics and transportation at spot number four with 39%. And then at spot number five, telecommunications at 38%. And uh, it's actually very interesting to see because this is the first time in years that all top five industries um, are in the private sector. There is no public sector. I think this is the first quarter in two years. We're not we're not seeing them in the top five. Very interesting. Driving around not only Hamilton, but any other city practically here in Ontario, there's a lot of help wanted signs. There's a lot of uh, job boards and websites that are attracting um, potential employees to uh, employers who need to fill those jobs. When it comes to Ontario compared to other provinces, where do we rank in terms of um, the hiring climate? Sure, absolutely. So um, southwestern Ontario specifically, so 46% of employers across all industries um, have said that in the next three months that they're actually looking to hire. Uh, only 14% have said that they're looking to cut back or lay off, and the other remaining 40% are just going to hold steady. So not looking to hire, but not looking to decrease either. Um, however, so even though Ontario itself has a positive net outlook of 32%, um, if we compare it to the rest of the country, we're actually at the lowest. So the highest uh, ranked spot is actually Western Canada, um, coming in at, at 35%, Quebec at 34 Eastern Care, Eastern Canada and the Maritimes 33 and Ontario at 32 So even though uh, it's a very, very positive outlook for Q1, um, we're not actually not looking at accelerating at the same pace as the rest of Canada. We're talking about the great need for employers to fill these positions. Are there other factors at play that kind of uh, change these numbers from month to month? 
I can't really speak to that. I don't know because I think that's very industry dependent as well. Right. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't be able to speak to that, unfortunately. Well, all the info you did give us is uh, rather insightful, and we appreciate your time. Natasha, thanks for joining us this morning. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. That's Natasha Radish, VP Ontario Manpower Group. Overall, here in Canada, to recap, 46% of companies across Canada, they surveyed more than a thousand employers. Forty-six percent plan to increase their staffing levels in the first quarter, and only thirteen percent anticipate some cutbacks. Um, that's a pretty big number. Nearly half of Canadian employers are looking to continue to hire, and we've seen those numbers. Uh, really maintain at that level because of the need for so many workers. Those help wanted signs seem to be everywhere. Um, 38% of employers plan to maintain the current staffing level. So not a lot of volatility in terms of job cuts. And certainly with, you know, talk of a potential recession this year, uh, that's something to keep an eye on. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.